Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Stephen. And I'm your co-host, Cassie. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Miss Cassie. Steven. So we always know when you're here, it's going to be special and amazing. Aw. Because you are special and amazing. Thanks. But and you happen to bring some special and amazing guests. Super special and amazing guests. So, Miss Cassie, if you could do this episode in one word. Ooh, one word. Okay, it's it's a bit of a cheat. Can I do one phrase? Fine. <laughs> Perspective changing? Yeah. And if I were to do one word, I would just say holy. Yes. Like when we yeah. talk about the redeeming power of Christ mm-hmm. and when we talk about once an addict, always an addict is garbage yeah. and that Jesus heals. Mm-hmm. When we talk about no matter where you've been, no matter how dark, no matter what the circumstance there is a way out and a way up and true freedom yeah and i think the main purpose of all that we're doing here is to spread hope that as people hear our story other stories here that it's like yeah if you think it's not possible listen to this right yeah i honor the incredible stories we've like incredible and miracle stories we've had on here anita and who she really is and the faith she's walked in truly it was a holy experience yeah. to hear her yeah i feel changed amen mm-hmm. so we invite you to buckle up get somewhere quiet get somewhere that if you burst out into tears it will be safe and okay to do that because <laughs> yep. we're about to really go on the walk invite you to give us five stars on iTunes. Follow us uh, at Unashamed and Afraid. If you're in need of help, unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships. If you'd like to become an outsider and help us in this movement, we're a nonprofit, and that's at unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. And with that, we'll get you in the studio with Anita. Anita, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, of course. So tell us where you're, where, so we're not actually in person, which is sad, but tell us where you're joining us from. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. Yep. East Coast. So I, I just have to ask, cause it's like a top five film for me. So Goodwill Hunting, you've seen it. Yeah. Best movie ever. One of the best movies ever that came out of Boston. Thank you. Okay. Now we know we're connecting. We're there. (laughs) And so tell us, just kind of give us the bio on you for people who are joining us who aren't familiar with you or haven't met you. This is your opportunity to be a Bragasaurus and tell us all the amazing things that we know you're doing. So just kind of give us just the quick bio on you. So I am a certified addictions recovery coach. I have 10 years in sobriety from drug addiction and probably eight years in sobriety from porn addiction. I work with an an outreach um, organization called Jasmine Grace Outreach, and we minister to women who have been caught up in sex trafficking, prostitution, and addiction, 
Mm -hmm. uh, so I do, I outreach there. I'm an advocate and also a mentor to the women I run groups in different halfway houses for those women. We're currently looking into opening our own safe home for trafficking survivors, the state next to us in New Hampshire. I do, I run a group at the local jail that I worked at for two years. I run, I facilitate a Bible study every other week at a sober home in Massachusetts with my friend whose house I'm in at, at now. And yeah, just general outreach to the girls that are living out on the streets or in programs, trying to help them get out of the life and heal from their addictions and still brokenness. Basically what I do. I have a 23-year-old son, soon to be 24. We have a failure salon situation at my house, but <laughs> <laughs> the Lord's working on that. But he's great. He's my saving grace and one of probably the most, one of the most things I'm proud of is him. What I'm hearing from you, Anita, is that basically you're a modern day Mother Teresa. So, <laughs> no, 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 far from that. No, that's pretty amazing. Well, thank you. So, so that we can know and believe that the story is real, right? Because yeah. what you just shared with us, I agree. I'm like, well, I think she gets more done in a day helping heal the world than <laughs> I will in my lifetime. And, and I mean that totally as a compliment of, of just where your heart is that we're about to learn about and know. But tell us, if we were to go back in time to the moment where people weren't betting on you, betting that you were going to make it in recovery, betting that you were really going to find your way back with God, take us back to that point in your life and what was happening and what it all looked like. I mean... I, I I don't even know because I lived such a double life. Like no one really knew everything that was going on in my life. But I would guess I would say by the time I was 40, I was legit like the poster child of sin. Like I had had, you know, obviously premarital sex, a child out of wedlock, abortions, a, an affair with a married guy, drug addiction, like, you know, lying, stealing, whatever, the whole thing. And But like, you know, I had several different groups of friends and some knew some things about me some knew other things about me my family knew nothing about me they just knew i wasn't dependable or when i was i was tired all the time so i just lived like this double life but when i was 40 was really when it all came to a head because i was just was tired was exhausted i could not function i cried all the time i don't know how i kept my job i really don't because i was just it was i was just a mess it was just a mess and that's when i i knew like I can't, I can't live like this. Like I can't, I can't function like this. I cried all the time. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I had this huge growing pornography addiction. Like I didn't even know at that time pornography was actually a problem. Like looking back now, I could, sure. it wasn't until I put the drugs down that the pornography really reared its ugly head and was like, oh, this is a problem too. But this had been a problem for like 20 years. So like, I just didn't know. What I'm curious about Anita is how that began. Like, can you take us back even like before all that, before it was a problem? Where did it all start? I guess if you, if I'm being honest, please do <laughs> in, in my childhood before the pornography addiction started, like the sexual brokenness was already there, right? From my mother, you know, having a lot of boyfriends in and out of the house and like mm -hmm. I could hear them having sex and like. You know, my aunt and her boyfriend, I could see them having sex and then like, you know, being sexually assaulted like the dial was already turned, right? So when I mm -hmm. was 16 and I started working at a pharmacy, a local pharmacy in my neighborhood, you know, this, and I'm dating myself because we're way back because there's all kinds of magazines and the, you know, behind the counter. 
And I just brought one home one day and that was it. I brought another one home the next day and like I just kept reading because internet wasn't a thing then. I didn't have right. access to, you know, VHS pornography, but I had the magazines and that's where it started. But the funny thing is I was also a teenager and I started to read those teenage romance novels. So then the mm-hmm. things really started to get messy in my head because I was romanticizing and watching pornography and reading these romance novels and everything just the wires just got all crossed, right? And I just didn't know what to do with that. So I romanticized pornography to a point where I couldn't tell the difference between the two growing up and into into my life. Like I thought that, you know, to have someone love me, I had to be really good at sex. So I'd read these romance novels on how to be romantic. And then I would read all this pornography on how to be good at having sex. So it was just, it was all messed up. Yeah. So how did you see like your self-worth and your value at that point in time in those teenage years? Oh, I was only good as as good as I was at having sex. Like that was it. And sex equaled love to me. That's mm-hmm. how I lived my whole life until I met Jesus. I just thought that's what it was. And nobody was telling me different. Like my mother, my father, my father was a workaholic. Like he wasn't in the home a lot. And then when my parents divorced, I saw him even less. And they weren't teaching me how to balance a checkbook, let alone talking to me about love, sex, and relationships. And looking back now at my mother's behavior and all the things that she had done, like she was probably a love addict as well. Like just, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places and having all these boyfriends. Like I thought that's just what we did. And a question I would ask, because, you know, we have had this narrative for quite some time that sexual issues are a male issue. Pornography is a male issue. And so, like, what, how, how did you see all of that of what, like, because I guess the question I have is, like, for me, right, like, I could never be, like, I'm into sex, who wants to hang out? Like, as a male, that's not part of the narrative, right? And so, uh, like, I wasn't able to, as someone in my teenage years who did a lot of sexually acting out, um, I was always, like, I was going to pursue, I was going to make it happen. I was going to say what I needed to say. Like that was the narrative and culture of where I grew up and how it was. Um, and so for you was this, right? Like this mix of education between the the novels and the porn out, like, was that something you kept secret and kind of tried to show up as someone different? Or is that something you're like, Oh, everyone thinks this is cool. What, what was that experience for you? So I, no one really knew. I didn't really tell anyone about the magazines I guess um there was a level of shame I wasn't aware of that I just Mm -hmm. felt like I probably shouldn't say anything right you know everyone was all my friends were reading the romance novel so that wasn't a big deal but when when I started to get into like serious relationships and like with boyfriends and then you know the internet came out and they were watching porn like I thought oh okay like I didn't really I didn't really like the visual effects of porn but I wanted to watch it with them because I wanted them to think that I thought it was cool. Right. Mm -hmm. But I really, I really didn't like the visual effects of it. And I would watch it mostly in the beginning because they were watching it. But then I realized like once we broke up, I was still watching it. Right. And then like, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the guys I dated would send me clips of like, Oh, we should try this and whatever. And then I don't even know how it happened that like, I just started to watch it on my own all the time. And I was like, yeah. And, it just got worse and worse as time went on, like the things that I was watching and I was mortified. 
That's some of the things sure. that like it brought me to when I was like, this is not okay. But still, I didn't think anything of it. I just kept doing it because I, I couldn't stop. Yeah. So you mentioned that you had been living a double life for so long, right? Mm-hmm. At what point did this, I mean, at what point did it become a double life? Because it kind of sounds like, you know, you were, you were surrounded by people who were kind of doing the same thing. Can you, can you tell me more about that, about like the double life experience? So, I mean, I don't know if any of my, my, my girlfriends were watching pornography with their boyfriends. I didn't, we didn't talk about that kind of stuff. I would mention it in conversation, like, Hey, so-and-so showed me this and like, but it's not something that we obviously talked about. And I didn't talk to my family about it. Like my sisters or my brother at the end of this podcast, you guys will know more about me than they do still. So we didn't really talk about that stuff, but like I had started having an affair with this guy he was married and I would we would talk about it all the time it was just a thing for us so we I didn't really talk about it with other people a lot especially my girlfriends because I didn't know how they were going to respond to it and they never brought it up so I didn't bring it up and so when I say I was living a double life like I was going to work I was you know after I had my son you know I was taking care of my son doing the whole mom thing but then like when he went to bed you know, it was, I was on the computer or I was, you know, sexting with, you know, whatever guy I was sexting with or in chat rooms talking about things I shouldn't have been talking about. And then when I found cocaine and how it, my body responded to it, it just got way worse because I was hypersexual when I was doing cocaine. So after my son went to bed, it was like cocaine and pornography. And then it just got worse because then I would start to meet strangers online in person to like, you know, fulfill whatever I was needing to fulfill. And it just like my son's dad had, after we had broken up, had, we had been dabbling with like Oxycontin and Percocets and things like that. And I kind of stuck with the cocaine, but then he moved on to heroin. So that got dark for a little while because we weren't together, but I knew he was struggling. But then I had my own struggles because now I'm trying to take care of our son, manage my addiction, go to work and figure, trying to figure it out. But my son had had been my saving grace because in my sick thinking I'm like I have to stop meeting these men online because if I don't stop I could get hurt and then he'll like he can't have two drug addict parents like I was like I have to stop doing that so I did stop the online meeting the guys that I I would talk to online I did stop that because I didn't want and not because out of guilt or shame basically because if I if I got hurt then someone would find out my secret that I was like (laughs) This porn addicts, drug addicts. Well, so so how did you see yourself, like your worth, your purpose in life? How, how did you see that at that point in time? Yeah, there wasn't any. I could not look at myself in the mirror for, after, you know, getting ready for work and like checking myself out in the mirror. Like I couldn't look at myself and really see myself. I just couldn't. I felt unworthy. I felt unloved, you know, and that stems from way back when, because the the child sexual abuse that I had happened to me, it wasn't like if we were going to scale it on a scale of one to 10, like compared to some of the stories I've heard, like mine's like real low, right? Still significant. Now, Miss Anita, we know that we can't do trauma comparing. I know, I know, but I'm just saying it just, 
from the stories I've heard compared to my own, like mine's on the lower sure. level, just going to say sure. it that way, but still impactful in my life in the way that I of course. view the world, yeah. right? So yeah. from that, and I couldn't tell anyone about it, right? Because like, who's going to believe me? Nobody. Because in my house, I was that old school Italian household, like you were to be seen and not heard, right? Mm. So I just didn't say anything, but I carried that unworthiness and shame and guilt with me throughout my whole adult life. And, and just that was where my worth came from because that's all I saw. That's all I felt. That's all I knew, you know? So if in that time period, if we were to go back there and you were to look in the mirror, what is it that you believe you would have seen? Just a broken, sad little girl that grew up to be a very angry woman. Every emotion that I had after that turned to anger and I was angry all the time, Mm -hmm. all the time. And I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with that anger. So I lashed out at people a lot. I got to the point where I was violent sometimes because I just didn't know how to control any kind of emotion that I had. Yeah. Yeah. It was tough. It was tough. And I taught my son how to be angry because, you know, he would watch his father and I fight and I would throw things and just be a menace. And it's taken me years to like help him manage that anger in a way that's healthier for him as well. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you consider your rock bottom? You know, what was the catalyst for change? So I had kind of two rock bottoms, right? The drugs were easy. Like my friends didn't know about AA or NA or any kind of 12 step program. I had a friend who had a niece that was going to church and brought me to church. And I just, I went in there and I just started to cry. And I I just knew that I was someplace I needed to be. And I, I felt safe there. So I just, I started to go every week and I started to listen to the message and hear the music and, you know, let those people look at me and and like they, you know, I've told them right away, yes, I have a problem with cocaine and all this stuff. I didn't tell them about the pornography, but they accepted me right away. And I was like, well, I'm not going to tell them about the pornography or the affair I'm still having. Like they're not going to accept that because pornography is a men's addiction. They don't, women don't have that problem. That's what I was thinking in my head. So the, when my, my son had gone to camp and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed for whatever reason. I was like super depressed and And then the wife found out that we were having an affair. So that was like my rock bottom for that. I was like, I got to do something because I don't want to be an adulteress anymore. Like, I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to do this anymore. And I, I just, I just want to feel some type of peace. That's what I was looking for. I was looking for a lot of peace. So my friend had taken me to church and that's where the the healing started. And I kind of surprisingly put the drugs down right away but not the pornography. Like I, I couldn't, I would go a week, I would go a month, I would go two days. And I still, I was still living a double life. Even a year after I came, I came to the Lord, I was still living a double life because I didn't know how to talk to anyone about the pornography. I didn't know. I, it was a shock to me that it was even a problem. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, I love Jesus. Like, why am I still doing this? Like he's in my life now. I'm doing all these good things. I'm going to church. I'm learning the Bible. I'm doing all these things. Why can't I stop? It was coming back to church, like hard for you. Like what was your narrative around 
going into church was hard to me because i mean i was born into the catholic faith meaning like when i was born i was baptized sure and that was pretty much it we went to church funerals and christmas eve i think it was right but uh, my mother was very sure to tell me that if i wasn't good that god was going to punish me so i had Mm. a real resentment against god so but when my friend's niece started to talk to me about god we were at her aunt's house and we were in the backyard sitting by the pool and she just started to talk to me about Jesus. And I was like thinking in my head, I got to get out of here. I don't have any desire to like know about this God. Like, please don't talk to me about him. Like I don't, uh, but I couldn't get up from the chair. I was like stuck there. And, and I just was started to weep. And I looking back now on it, I'm like, that's, that was my spirit, like finally hearing the truth of what it always needed to hear. But I didn't know it then. I was just like, I got to go meet someone. Like I got to go. But I stayed there and I listened to everything she said. And she kept saying, you know, he's the Prince of peace and he's going to bring you peace. And like, that's what I was looking for. But I still didn't believe her, but she sent me home with a bunch of books that I didn't read, but (laughs) I just laid on my bed one night, a couple of days after that. And I was like, you know what, if you're real, you got to show me something. You got to show me something. You got to just, she said, if I cried out to you, you would hear me. Like, and I, I need you to hear me. And the next day I woke up and I, re- and I realized that I didn't cry the whole day. I was like, oh, that's different. Right. And I felt mm-hmm. a little bit of peace inside. Not a lot, but it was, it was subtle enough for me to notice, you know, but I didn't cry the whole day. And that I, t- I really took notice of. So what, what was it like, cause you're having this, you know, transformational experience and starting this, this walk with Jesus. I thought that was cool. You said that you're like, my spirit was finally hearing what it needed to hear. And so I want to ask like, what is it that your spirit needed to hear? It's true about Jesus, just about who he was and what he did for me because she was saying it all he died for you you know and he loves you and you don't have to live like this and there's a peace out there that surpasses all understanding and in my head i'm thinking like this girl is crazy like what is she talking about (laughs) but you i couldn't deny the tears like they were just i was just weeping it wasn't like a heavy cry or an ugly cry it was just weeping and i was like why am i crying but like i didn't i didn't know then but something happened because I heard what she said and I cried out to him and he showed up. But my spirit knew in that moment what was happening. Finally, like, you know, like when you're dead in your sin and then you finally hear the truth about who you are and what you're supposed to, and, and you know, who Jesus is, that spirit automatically comes alive in you. You don't have any control over that. I firmly believe that. Yeah. So at what point, like from all of the past, all of the things that you've been through, right? And then like finding God, I I don't want to gloss over or like not talk about the abortions because I know that there are people, I know we have listeners who need to hear about it. And I'm just wondering if you'd be willing to speak a bit about like, where is that in the timeline? How did that affect you? And how, you know, when did you find healing and yeah, if you could just talk to funny us. Funny story. No, not a funny story. But <laughs> I had had two abortions within six months of each other when I was about 20, 24, 25. It was, I'm sorry, about 25, 26. I had, they were in, within six months. And I never thought about them ever again for the next 20 years. I just stuffed it way down. 
you know, I live in Boston. We're the most unchurched city in all of America, I think. I don't know. Like, there's not a lot of religious things going on. You shout your abortions everywhere. Like, we're pro-abortion all the way in this city. I'm not included in that, but that's how Boston is. So, like, for me back then, I was one of those people who, like, yep, you can have an abortion. You can do whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. And I thought that my whole life. I'll just do whatever I want, right? And whatever. I can do whatever I want. So I just stuffed it down. I never talked about it to anyone really. And when I was, oh my gosh, six, seven years into my recovery, seven years after I found the Lord, he, he put it upon my heart that I had to, I had to deal with that. And I was like, and like, you know, he's, you know, the Lord, he's very subtle. I ran into the father of the babies because they were the same guy at the supermarket. And I'm like, this is weird. And then, you know, just these little things over the course of a couple of months. So I, I went to my friend, Teresa, who is the director of one of the pregnancy resource centers that I work at now. Mm. She, I forgot to mention that in my bio. I do that two days a week. Of course you do. Freak, <laughs> run up the score. Jeez. I went to Teresa and I was like, you know, the Lord's putting it on my heart. I feel like I have to, I have to talk about this. I have to get some healing around those abortions. So she sent me back to her clinic, which when I, yeah. So she sent me back to her clinic to have some counseling with one, with their post-abortion counselor there. Mm -hmm. But after I had those abortions, about almost a year later, I had gotten pregnant with my son and went to that clinic in a panic. And was like, I don't want to have this baby, blah, blah, blah. And they, you know, they convinced me that God God, God wanted me to have this baby. And for some reason, I needed to hear that. I don't know why, because I didn't know the Lord back then. But I trusted that woman. She was very kind. So I, I kept, obviously, I kept my son. But Teresa sent me back to that same clinic. And I got, I did a post-abortion Bible study called Forgiven and Set Free. And that took me about almost 10 months to complete but the thing about my abortions is it was hard for me to do it because they ask you these certain questions and I couldn't remember anything. I could, I could only remember who took me both point to both appointments and how painful they were. That was it. I couldn't tell you what time of the year it was, if it was spring, fall, if it was the middle of the day or the afternoon. Like I couldn't tell you anything except who brought me and how painful they were. Right. Because it was 20 years after the fact, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I got I got a lot of healing around that. And then a couple of years later, Teresa asked me if I would come in and be a patient advocate and do the post-abortion Bible study with other women who were looking to do that. Wow. So that's what I did. And it was amazing because at the end of the study, you know, you get to name your babies and hand them over to Jesus and put them in his care. And, and that was really significant for me because I always wondered where they were and, you know, if the Lord had them. And Teresa assured me, one time before all that, that I would see my babies in heaven. And that freaked me out. I was like, I was a new Christian when she told me that. I was like, that is not okay. Like, I do not want to see those children. But she's like, no, it's a beautiful thing. And Jesus will forgive you. But I, at that point, when she had said that to me, I wasn't ready. It still took six more years after that for me to do the Bible studies. But it was powerful and it was beautiful. And I'm completely free of that guilt and shame. Like, that's amazing. Because I just didn't know that could ever be a thing. How do you feel now? I feel for myself, I feel good, right? Because I'm free of that, but I'm angry that it's still happening. And like women just think nothing of it and that they don't know the truth about what's really happening to them, their babies, their bodies. 
because I didn't know. I didn't know. Like I went to Planned Parenthood. They didn't tell me anything. They just said, you know, they just did it. They didn't talk to me. They didn't counsel me. They didn't. And like working at the Pregnancy Resource Center, there's so much knowledge to be had and questions to be asked that the pro-abortion community just doesn't realize that that's happening. Like they have, you know, we have like 64, it just in Massachusetts, thousands of abortions a year. Those are just the ones that are reported. And you're going to tell me that no one's affected by that, that it's just okay. And there's no woman suffering after that decision. Like, I don't believe that it's a lie. And like, they didn't tell me that the emotional turmoil I was going to have afterwards. And they did, I might've not have done the second one. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But it's, um, it's tragic. For sure. For sure. So uh, take us back into your story of, you know, you talked, I was able to put the drugs down. You know, I'm wrestling. Like I totally believe in Jesus still wrestling with the porn. Like what happened? What experiences would you do? Like that really got you to the place of freedom that you're at today. Yeah. So I had eventually come clean with one of the, the women at my church about the affair that I was having. Still not the pornography, but the affair, because when the wife found out, I just didn't know what to do with myself because I was, I was very relieved actually, because I had found, I had found the Lord. I had been going to church. I was doing whatever suggestions they asked me to do. They like, you know, volunteer at the church, come to Alpha, sign up for the women's Bible study. So I was doing all those things and trying to you know, you know, over the years, we had this affair for a very long time. And over the years, I tried to leave so many times, just out of the sheer exhaustion of trying to live that double life. Like, I just couldn't go like I was completely addicted to that relationship. And and then when the wife found out, I was like, so relieved. I was like, oh, thank God, now it can finally be over, like, he'll figure it out and go and like, not want to see me anymore. But that, that wasn't the case. So I had to tell somebody because I wanted to I wanted to be authentic in my Christian walk. I needed some kind of accountability. So I had told one of the women at church and she had, you know, taken me into her home and done a private Bible study with me alone and a lot of prayer and a lot of praying over me and teaching me what the Lord says about things. And, and it worked for a while. I had stayed away for a while, but there was such a, like a soul tie and like an emotional connection to him. I kept going back periodically, but it was, purely you know sexual but emotional at the same time because we just couldn't stay away from each other and then one day i was listening to caleb and i thought i was getting yeah caleb you gotta tell us about caleb we rep caleb hard yeah so i was listening to them and they were had a an organization on they were doing like a an interview with truckers against trafficking. I don't know if you guys ever heard of them. Mm -hmm. So they're an organization Mm -hmm. that goes and ministers to the prostitutes at truck stops across the country. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about sex trafficking and all of these things. And I was like, and I, I had been working for a trucking company for 16 years at this point. And I was like, why don't I know this is going on? Like there's women and children being trafficked at truck stops. Like, how do we not know this? I'm telling my boss, he's like, well, we don't do over the road and blah, blah, blah. But I, I was intrigued. I was like, that's, that's terrible. Like I need to help do something about that. So I just started to research sex trafficking and all of these things. And I had gone to the women at church. I'm like, do you know about this? And like, you know, I was like, I, if something hit me, the Lord impressed it on my heart. And I was like, I have to do something. 
So I started to pray and I started to research and I found, you know, everything that I found in Massachusetts that had like I, the doors just weren't opening. So I just kept praying and praying. And then one day I was on Facebook and I saw a, a woman share her story on the Truckers Against Trafficking newsletter. Mm -hmm. And she just happened to be from Boston and growing up on the streets that I grew up on and mm -hmm. trafficked on the streets that I grew up on. Wow. And I was like, I have to talk to this girl. Her name was Jasmine. And so I called her and she didn't answer. And then I sent her a Facebook message and she didn't, didn't answer. And then I texted her and she still didn't answer. And I was like, I have to. And then I called her again. And finally she found, she answered. And I was like, I, I want to talk to you. Like, I want to help you. Like, what's going, how does this happen? So she was making these bags of hope where we, she would put toiletries in a bag, a duffel bag or a backpack with a love note and give them to women like living out on the streets. And I was like, I want to help you with that. So I hosted a bag of hope party at my sister's diner and Jasmine came and she told her story about being trafficked and prostituting and overdosing in bathrooms and things like that. And I was, and she just stood there in front of my, all of my friends and family, no guilt, no shame, Jesus light just shining through her. I was like, mm. that's a girl I can tell my whole story to. I like her. Yeah. Like, I can tell yeah. the whole thing. And I did. I, I told her everything, like over the course of a couple of weeks, we just started to get to know each other. And I was like, this is what's happening to me. And I don't know who else I can tell, but if you can talk about what you talked about, I can tell you this. And I told her everything and I just threw up all over her my whole life. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, she's like, you need some healing. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> but I was like, <laughs> she's like, well, what about a therapist? And I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't think of that. And, but like, who am I going to talk to about pornography? So I found this one woman who was a trauma therapist, but she didn't know anything about pornography. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, she sent me to some, I don't know if you ever heard of him, Rick and Vicky Cardos of the Nathan Project. They're out of New Hampshire and Rick has four men only groups. He ministers to men with um, pornography addiction and his uh -huh. wife ministers to the women. So I called her because that's the closest I was going to get <laughs> to anything. Yeah. Because I couldn't find totally. anything for women. Um, so I called her and I just, I just poured it all out to her. And I was like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I have this pornography addiction. Like I didn't know it was an addiction. So I put the drugs down and I couldn't put the pornography down and I'm having this affair and I love Jesus. And why am I still doing this? Why do I still have these behaviors? I just want to stop. So she, she, she's like, all right, come and see me. So I went to her house and she does this relapse prevention book called the Genesis process. It's a Christ centered relapse prevention book. And she offered to do that with me. So I did that. I drove an hour and a half every Monday, but 10, 11 months to her house in New Hampshire, um, paid her weekly. And we went through this book from my childhood right till the present day about my whole life. And it was almost like the 12 steps. She did resentments and amends and you know kind of like the fourth step all these things and it was amazing and then uh going through that process jasmine had asked me to do more with her regarding the groups and the women so i had stopped watching pornography and i thought well and i don't have to watch it like i'll just revert back to how i started and i was like reading erotica online i thought that was better because no one's being exploited mm. in the words right mm. which was total you know, my addict just talking to me, trying to justify it. Just know you're getting a bunch of head nods in here. Like, yeah. been there, sister, been there. Mm -hmm. So totally understand that moment. Especially with the novels for women. Yeah, totally. Stopped watching it, but now I'm reading it. She's like, it's the same thing. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, no one's being exploited. And she's like, no. You are. 
Yeah. You are. Mm. And I was like, and I just, it just didn't register. And then she was like, I want you to, I want you to be able to run groups. And I was like, okay. She goes, well, you, you can't run groups if you're still doing that. And I was like, thinking to myself, you're right. Like, how am I going to run groups and teach women how to not be exploited and honor their bodies if I'm not doing that myself? And that was it. I never watched pornography again. Wow. Because I would much rather help these women than feed my flesh. So I didn't. I just stopped. Wow. So, so the questions I've got to ask is like, what do you think allowed your heart to change? Like, because I believe you like 100%. And as you say it, like, my mind is like, yes, totally. But then part of my body and my heart is like, gosh, you made that sound easy. Yeah, I just, I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I, mm -hmm. I didn't want to be a hypocrite. And the fear of the Lord was in me. And I, I don't know, you know, who listens to your podcast and they hear fear of the Lord and like, they're wondering like, what does that mean? It's like this reverence, like I wanted to make him proud, that kind of fear. You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. I didn't want to let him down kind of fear. I wish I was like, had that much discipline in all of my faith walk and life. <laughs> like It's just not at that sure. easy. Yeah. And I just, the main thing was like, I did not want to be a hypocrite and I wanted the girls to be able to learn from me everything that I could teach them and not be fake about it. I didn't want to, and it's the same thing with my, with my purity. Like the women are like, you don't have sex at all. I'm like, no, I'm not married. Well, how do you do it? And I'm like, I just don't, you know, it's not easy. The first couple of years is not easy, but like after you, after a while, it's just like you wait for your husband and that's what you do. And I don't want to tell these women that all these things that the Lord has taught me, if I'm not walking that walk, like I can't, can't do that. I guess that kind of leads me to my next question because how do you feel that, and I think maybe I'm naming this because it's been a personal struggle for me. How do you separate, to use your words, right? Like the fear of the Lord of really having a knowing of who God is and how, you know, one of my Christian rap guys says it well, that he's like, don't waste time on the centerfolds. I'm alive. It's a miracle, right? Like that real understanding that you've gained of God. Like how do you make sure that doesn't turn into God being all justice, punitive, and he's only happy with you and he only wants to be connected with you as long as you're sober leading the group or doing the things. Because I know my perfectionism and that version of God has leaked all over my recovery. That I'm like, totally, I believe in grace as long as you're doing the things, right? Like, And so so how have you been able to separate that? I don't, I don't really know the exact answer to that question. Like God's grace and mercy on my life is just... I can't even begin to ascribe the gratitude that I have for that. But I, I also know that when I, when I meet him face to face, like we're going to have certain conversations, right? He's going to judge me. I, I understand that. I'm not afraid of that judgment. Like I'm looking forward to having, but like one less conversation I have to have with the Lord. That's <laughs> how I think about sometimes of my decisions sure. and like that fear. That's one less conversation I have to have with him when I get there. And I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to fully answer that question. I just, I don't want to let him down as much mm -hmm. as like I possibly can. Like I'm always going to be a sinner. I just wake up every day and I try to sin less than I did the day before. Well said. So as, as we're leaking on timer, getting towards the end, what are, have been some of the keys for you in not only finding the healing, but being able to sustain it? Like 
what are the two or three things of advice that you would say like these are the top things that like have aided me most or helped me most find my healing and stay in that place i would say changing changing the way i thought about things was was a big deal for me changing the way changing the music that i listened to the things that i watched on tv the people that i hung out with was a big a big deal for me but and focusing on jesus because once i stopped conforming to the world and and focused on jesus was when the real healing and change started to to evolve out of me because i didn't i didn't care what the world thought and I, I didn't care i don't care that i'm still single all these years later waiting for the one that jesus has for me because if i was if i did what all my other christian friends did you know they're married to non-christians just to say that they're married you know and mm -hmm. i'm I don't, stay true to yourself stay true to jesus and it'll all fall into place mm -hmm. that's the mm -hmm. process yeah. yeah so i i we talked earlier in the episode at the low about how you avoided looking at yourself in the mirror and i'm curious if you're willing to look at yourself in the mirror now when you get ready every day yeah i do and sometimes i wear a tiara while i'm doing it just <laughs> if i'm having a bad day i put it on and i just wear it um because i am his daughter and um i'm proud to say that i can look at myself and say that i can look yeah. at my son and say you know even though he's not a believer yet i can look at him and be proud to be his mom I have open and honest conversations with him about pornography and, and I can do that. And I'm, I'm okay with that. So when you look in that mirror and you put that tiara on, right. As a daughter of God, tell me what you see in that mirror. I see, I'm, I, I can see the healing. I'm not that broken little girl anymore. I'm loved. I'm cherished. I'm, I'm beloved and I'm worth the wait. Mm-hmm. We don't have enough tissue boxes in this room. I'm going to let y'all, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Those who can't see what I can see in this room. Anita, this has truly been a miracle to have you here with us and, and to share your story. And uh, just super grateful. We always end all of our episodes. You brought up, you know, Caleb earlier and with a song. And I know sometimes there's not one song that can do it all justice. But just right now, tonight, here in this moment, if you had a song that you feel reflected of who you used to see in the mirror and who you see now and who you are a song that represents your journey and your story. Gratitude by Brandon Lake. Such a good song. And I love him by the way. So Anita, thank you so much for being here with us again. Just, just been incredible. Cassie, you can't cry that much. We still have to see the thing and do stuff. I know. And so just again, thank you. And if people want to find you and get in contact with you, where's the, what's the best place to get in contact with you? Um, they can email me at anita at jasminegrace.org or they can just visit our, our website and send an email there. It's jasminegrace. Yeah, jasminegrace.org. And we'll, we'll put it in the show notes as well. And so thank you for being here. If that's how to get connected there. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at Unashamed and Afraid. Give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the world will do the, they do the, the math and the algorithm so that more people can hear the hope of what Anita shared and, and the hope of this message. And if you are in need of more hope and help, we invite you to go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships as we are a, a 501c3 nonprofit 
And as people donate, we put that money towards scholarships to resources and things that um, can help. Yeah. So that's kind of our jam. Um, And so if you want to be a part of that and a part of our movement and join us in the bonus content here with Anita, we invite you to donate at unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. And there can become an outsider. And our outsiders are those who are bold, accepted, and unashamed. And like Anita are doing so much in their own movements and their own communities in so many different ways. So we would love for you to join our outsider community, help us with this movement and our impact, and join us in the bonus content with Anita. If you need help, reach out. And until we're with you again, we invite you to continue to be unashamed and leave you with gratitude by Brandon Lake. All my words fall short I got nothing new How could I express All my gratitude I could sing these songs As I often do But every song must end And you never do So I throw up my hands And praise you again and again Cause all that I have is a hallelujah
Except for 